Hey everybody, welcome to That Will Never Work. You know, sometimes when we're addressing a really complicated problem or a sales challenge, we'll say we're up against this horribly entrenched bureaucracy. But what happens when the bureaucracy you're up against is the actual bureaucracy? Well, that is the challenge that's being faced by today's founder, Catherine Generakis, the founder of City Grows, who's taking on a problem that anyone who has tried to start a business, do a remodel, build a house, or you know navigate government in general needs to do, which is get a permit. Well, let's find out how she's doing. Hi, I'm Mark Randolph, co-founder of Netflix and six other companies. Over the years, I've heard that will never work thousands of times, but I've learned there are things we all can do to increase the chances that they will. So join me for That Will Never Work. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. What I think would be a great way to start is if you could just kind of walk me through what is the problem that you saw um, and where did this insight come that you might have some way to fix this? And then maybe we can kind of work our way into how I can uh, I can help you. Sure. So uh, when we started City Grows, we realized that, you know, everybody, when they interact with government at most levels, but often really with their local governments, the outcome is frustration, right? You know, you need to get a permit for your home renovation or a license for your business. You just want to get that done as quickly as possible. And you run into roadblocks. Things take a long time. You know, traditionally, you've sent in a form. It goes into sort of a black box. You don't know what's happening. Uh, it can be really frustrating. You get anxious. You make phone calls. Uh, it's really not a great experience for anyone, either the person applying for those things or the folks who work inside of government. They're frustrated often, too. Um, so we realize that, you know, we all live in a world where we have a lot of transparency and expediency because of technology. Things happen really fast when you order something online or even when you order a pizza, you can watch it getting made and delivered to your door in real time on your app, right? And we're like, well, why doesn't government work like that? There's no reason it shouldn't. Um, my business partner and I had both worked in and around government, and we had, of course, been users of government and realized that, you know, we could build some technology that could make it better. Uh, we might have slightly underestimated the challenge of selling into government, but uh you know, we think it's really important. It's important for government to work well, you know, for all the things that we need from it, but also just because our society feels better and is more connected when government works well, too. Well, what a novel idea <laughs> that you would take this process, which, of course, is frustrating. And for me, I guess it was building permits mm -hmm. uh, and say there should be a better way. Yeah. Uh, but it's funny. I said, isn't it a novel idea? Tongue in cheek, because I'm sure every single person in the world has said, this has got to be a better yeah. way. And it's so pervasive that there is not a better way that it's led me to conclude that it's on purpose. And is in fact, is what's the reason yeah, why it's, it's that, not that no one's thought about it. What's the no, reason it's so absolutely bad? not. And it's not that uh, people inside of government don't want to fix it either. They understand that people are frustrated. They're the ones getting the angry phone calls, right? Uh, no, it's really a combination of, you know, the way technology worked for a long time was that uh, there were sort of large scale technology products 
And it just wasn't particularly cost effective to build those for government. So we wanted to build a software as a service solution, like a very lightweight tool. It's all web-based because, you know, if you were a government that five or 10 years ago put your building permits online, like many larger cities did, you either had to custom build that tech yourself or you used a really like clunky, older, expensive, hard to implement system. So now we're in a time when it's much easier and cheaper to build really complex technology, which is what our team has done. And that governments don't need to have servers or IT people or any of those things that really are outside their core capacity, especially for a small government to maintain them. So we ended up in a system where either large governments have big, clunky, frustrating technology that they built themselves, and small governments have just been running on paper and spreadsheets and really no technology. So that's the gap we're trying to So there's a there's a legacy perception, there's I a, guess, yeah. that yes, someone back in 1980 said, wouldn't it be cool if we could make this automated? Right. But at that point, being automated required, you had to buy your own hardware, exactly. you had to people to run it, install it, the hardware cost a million dollars. Exactly. Uh, you had to write tens of thousands of lines of code, install terminals, all these things. Right. And so that basically turned everybody off from saying this is an unsolvable there's, there's also, I mean, honestly, there's some structural problems in the way governments buy technology. So I was um, appointed by our current mayor here in LA as a commissioner of innovation as perform and performance early in his term. And I tried to buy some technology for our commission. Like we were, we had this really cool purview where we got some money to do almost like an internal venture fund for the city of LA. We had about a million dollars a year that we could deploy to departments to help them test innovations that they couldn't get into the regular budget. But we needed a way to get applications from staff because staff have great ideas. They just can't always execute on them. And I was like, well, how hard could it be to buy like a forms tool to make this happen? We ended up using the Google form I made for years because it took years to get new technology into the system because of the procurement rules in government. So there's a lot of structural reasons why technology people is- People can't just spend money, that it has to be a, no, go and, to every single level of approval. It, it comes from a good place of preventing public corruption, but it is the worst possible thing when you're buying technology. Technology, you have to be able to change your products quickly, like respond to what's new in the market. It, it really has put government um, behind the times um, in terms of the way they have to purchase. And it's too bad because, again, we see people inside of government over and over again who want to do things differently. They just haven't had the resources, the ability to do it. There's also this longstanding perception that, now don't take this the wrong way, but that it works well enough. Mm -hmm. You can get a permit. It, it's not great. And what these solutions would tend to do is cost more for the city, not necessarily save the city money. And I know there's another one of those crazy things that a city should spend money to make things better for its citizens, but you, yeah. you know, it is what it is. Uh, they have budgets and uh, they have, spending more money is not something necessarily they want to do. Well, and now, honestly, I think one of the things that's hardest in government is that there's less of a um, perspective that sunk costs can be abandoned as there are in the private sector, right? And the there, private there's sector, less or more, I'm sorry. There, so people stick with, even if it's more expensive, they stick with less efficient technology because the cost to switch in terms of time and effort is perceived to be uh, more of a burden than the actual dollar cost. 
So sometimes governments aren't always incentivized to save money the way we would like them to be. Yeah, you know, I, I, I jokingly alluded to it, but the, I, the whole almost stereotype of bureaucracy mm-hmm. comes from the bureaucracy, which is that these things run a certain way. Yeah. That's, there has been, you know, Fred in processing, whose job is I take the paper out of this bin, I stamp it, stamp it three times, I staple it, and I put it in this bin, and that is what this department does, and we can't have some different way of doing and, things. What will I do? And there's definitely, look, inside of government, a lot of times it's perceived that um, it's better to do something safe than something innovative. And that was part of what um, our mayor here in LA was trying to encourage with the Innovation and Performance Fund. Uh, and it's part of what I think has really changed in governments now that we're in this um, kind of towards the end of the pandemic is that governments had this experience and people inside of government had the experience where they had to change quickly. And they actually realized that they could, that they could make changes in policy and procedures and technology to respond to unexpected situations. And it's been really cool to see uh, folks in government sort of understand that they can do that. And there's huge benefits when they do. Um, one of the things that our technology was used for was to issue sidewalk dining permits to restaurants uh, who needed to operate on sidewalks, in the streets, just anything they could do to survive during um, you know, the uh, last couple of years of the pandemic. And we saw governments like City of West Hollywood, for example, they would implement a new policy on a Monday and we, or, you know, the council would have a new policy on a Monday and we would be able to implement it on Tuesday because they had made a choice to use responsive, flexible technology that they could do that with. And I think it's actually really empowered folks inside of government who wanted to make change, but didn't always feel like they had the political cover to do that before. And uh, now they're now they're in a different position, which is exciting. Well, so. sometimes I have to pull it out of people as to what what challenges, what can I help you with? Mm-hmm. I, you've, you've basically let out a dozen of them. <laughs> is there any one in particular that you uh, would will, like to talk about today? I will say that when I found out about, uh, I mean, I knew about your podcast for a while, but I found out the uh, opportunity to maybe come on. I was like, literally, that's what everyone says to us is that will just never work. Like, wh- why are you trying to change government? That's crazy. Um, But one of the things I really wanted to ask about was, you know, there's been a lot of lessons from the private sector in terms of how to sell um, new kinds of software. Business is often quite receptive to that. I really wanted to hear your thoughts about, you know, kind of how do you take a a product that's sort of been tested or or something similar in another market and move it into a different sort of more challenging uh, space? Like what what are the lessons that you can move along? How do you know if you're what you're doing is working? Uh, any any guidance on that, I think, would be super helpful. It is amazing to me that you have the client you do. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, my hat is off. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> that, in fact, you actually convinced a government to, <laughs> to do this. But that just says that I recognize the immensity of trying to convince um, mm. other ones um, to do it. Uh, and I think this is a classic situation of not trying to figure out, do we have the right product? Mm-hmm. Because the problem is so obvious. The, I know there's nuances, but the solution is so obvious. Mm-hmm. This is the type of um, product that a high schooler could, no, no, no knock, <laughs> 
could do Be, because it, it the, the the process that you're replacing is from the middle ages mm -hmm. um and so it's really not that big of a leap to do something better the problem you're trying to solve is not how do i make the the permit processing or interacting with it. the you problem you're trying to solve the innovation that you're going to look for the thing that will make you famous in entrepreneurial circles is learning how to get governments to embrace software solutions. And if you crack that code, it's a huge one. I sometimes like to look for the look at other success stories, just mm -hmm. like people will look at yours mm -hmm. once you start being able to tell it. So for example, uh, I do register my car mm -hmm. online. Um, I do, much as I hate to admit it, pay traffic tickets online. Mm -hmm. What's the common denominator? Why did those two services become automated? Yeah, I think anything that's related to payments does have a little bit more pull in terms of uh, more motivation for people to bring those things online. And we do see that too, right? Uh, probably the most common uses for our software now are building permits and business licenses. And those are both revenue drivers for local government and the folks who are decision makers around those uh, kinds of technology care about revenue more than maybe folks in other parts of, uh, of the same government do sometimes. Um, and that's definitely something that we've kind of built into our product as well, that we, um, we think a lot about how to uh, increase revenue, increase compliance. Sometimes when we'll bring business licensing online, for example, we did this for little rural Inyo County uh, a couple of years ago. They saw a really significant increase in the number of people filing business licenses because there were all these home-based businesses that how would you know they were there, right? They're in someone's home. Uh, you can't see them from the outside. There's no sign. Um, but if you make it easy for someone to file, they're more likely to do it. So that's one of the things that we, one of the sort of proof points we use when we talk to governments. But we really struggle. And the best way we found to do this is for governments to come to us, like to search like, you know, or email marketing or search, you know, search driven stuff is it's hard to convince them when they're not ready. But when they're ready, they really want uh, they really want a solution fast. And so that's one of the things that we've been trying to build up our uh, capacity on. It's one of the reasons I'm talking to you now. Right. Is because I want as many as people as possible to know that there is a low cost, easy to implement solution for this stuff, because even folks inside of government think like, oh, God, this technology is going to be years to implement and hundreds of thousands of dollars because that's what it's been traditionally but not well, anymore there was two there was two thoughts that came to mind and one is one that uh, i've talked about on the show before mm -hmm. which is is the picking the right solution customer mm -hmm. um at least at first or as your loss leader or as your entree in yep. and so the number one is i would say you you're looking for revenue generators rather than mm -hmm. um service enhancers yep because they'll all nod up and down forever about this will make your ability to serve your customers even better sounds great uh but it's going to cost you money and you're gonna have to fight the bureaucracy mm -hmm. in order to get it that's the end of that whereas you're right to the plate to the to the degree that you can um offer them ways to make more money, mm -hmm. uh, surprise, surprise, that will make them um, willing to jump over some hoops. Uh, 
I also love the idea that you're already doing, which is this idea of that's saying, let's not try and sell into people who have mm -hmm. not, I'm not going to try and convince someone how bad their problem is and how much we're going to help their customers. I can't, I have to recognize the reality is if someone doesn't know they're sick, they're not going to come to the hospital. Right. Um, and I'll wait till they're, you have to wait till they're sick, which yeah. is another interesting way. But to put a twist on that, it's not an unreasonable way to say, once you've identified your customer, is to modify your marketing and message mm -hmm. to look for that. No, it's, it's super interesting that you say that about sort of focusing on a specific customer type, because we've started to see um, real traction with finance directors and folks from the financial side, which at the beginning was uh, sometimes a challenge point for us. We would start with somebody in the building permit department and the finance department might be a roadblock. They might say like, oh no, this is a different way of collecting money than we have been comfortable with before. We've never heard of this Stripe thing you're using to process payments. What is that? You know, whereas people in the private sector know. Um, and now we're starting to see finance directors as potentially are a great entry point into governments because they know where they are underperforming the most on revenue collection. So you mentioned parking tickets. That's that's yeah. not something that we generally do, but it has been traditionally a place where governments miss out on but a lot of money. It's just an automation uh, yeah. opportunity, which that's I've right. seen communities um, adopt. Yes. But it, you're missing slightly what I meant by mm -hmm. leaning into problem areas, mm -hmm. which is you beginning to ask yourself, what are the common denominators for these people who mm -hmm. reach out? Beyond just they're in deep pain, mm -hmm. that you begin to say, "Wow, and this they're rural, maybe, yes, or they're this is the size city, but those are the super unsophisticated data mm -hmm. points that's almost doing this form of a regression analysis mm -hmm. and saying, "What are the other characteristics? What operating system are they on what mm -hmm. What are they using right now? When did they adopt this i mean it could be some completely uh not intuitively correlated mm -hmm. thing that would help you identify our, no, it's, our, it's our classic great... one is ones who run a budget, uh, budget surplus the last three years. They're in a democratic leaning mm -hmm. community. Mm -hmm. It's this size. It's a county, not a city. I mean, you'll find all these weird things, which once you've dramatically narrowed your, mm -hmm. your, your target. Yeah, we're constantly looking for proxies for like, yes. who is the forward thinking person? And at the very beginning of our company, we used to just be like, do they even have a LinkedIn profile, for example? Because many people in government don't. They, it's not how people get jobs generally. But now people who work in government are starting to be less different than folks who work in the private sector. So people are moving in and out of the public sector into the private sector more, especially like the younger you are, that's happening more frequently. People just treat it like any other job as opposed to like a longer term commitment. Um, which we think is really healthy for us, that movement yeah. of people in and out of the uh, public sector. So, uh, the, so yeah, we're always looking for those proxies. The proxies like for is people a, and is a critical one. It's because yeah. mm -hmm. once you, because there's so many potential targets. Yeah. And so many of them are going to, yeah. Your entreaties bounce off harmlessly. That's right. That you may as well t target it somewhat. So, the last piece that I was thinking might be an interesting approach is not require the government's participation. Oh, uh-huh. And uh, I'll give you an example from very recent behavior, which mm -hmm. is I needed to um, 
renew uh, passports. Mm -hmm. And um, there is an online form mm -hmm. that the government has, which is great. It's all fielded. It puts it all. And then you realize, oh, this is not a, an online form. This is an online form creation tool that you finish filling this whole thing out for your passport application. And then what do you do? You don't give a credit card to submit. You print the damn thing out uh, in triplicate, and then you got to bring it to the post. Yep, it, it's this workaround. Right. Right. And it occurred to me that maybe there's ways for you to use mm -hmm. a tool for people to mm -hmm. make their interaction by it preprints the forms. It has all the the business logic, mm -hmm. so they don't show up as I did when I was applying for my residency permits in Italy and get sent back three times because the first time you've forgotten this, second time you're missing this. Yeah, no, that's a really great idea. And we have, um, we've had some people come to us a little bit uh, here in Southern California. There's a lot of folks who want to do um, like sidewalk uh, vending, like street vendor permits has been a really controversial thing for the county. They haven't, they theoretically are supposed to issue more, but they haven't issued very many it's a very complex process that bounces back and forth between whatever city you're in and the county public health. Right now, there are no systems that connect those two things. So if you want to start a food-related business in Southern California, it's quite challenging to get all the required permits at all the different levels because those systems aren't connected. We're like, oh, we can take in all that information, spit out the it's probably 12 different PDF forms you need to use and potentially like at least help you move that process forward to some extent demonstrate to these different levels of government that it's actually the same information being collected six different times from these businesses which is really challenging and, and really has an impact on economic development like in terms of it's anyway we'd love to make that smoother for everybody it's right? a combination of the two things we just talked about yeah which is on one hand, you identify what is the community that really needs this desperately. Mm -hmm. and, is and we think based on our proxies, which I love mm -hmm. that, is ready and receptive, but still not ready to even not engage ready with us. <laughs> and so at the second hand, you say basically, okay, we're going to pre-populate these mm -hmm. forms. We're going to prepare people. So when they walk into the counter mm -hmm. to Fred, who's been there for 30 years, and they hand in this packet of materials and he says to himself, that was amazing. That just made my job way faster. But and eventually, hopefully, someone reaches out to you and says, wow, yeah. maybe you, we can, can figure you out a way to take this, this information in electronically so Fred isn't taking these forms and then retyping them uh, into the, our systems. Yeah. One of the ways that, one of the reasons that people in government do get excited about what we're doing is that we reduce the total time it takes for them to issue these permits by, it's often more than 75% partly because we're just enforcing those completeness checks digitally, right? Because so much of the time that gets wasted right now is just like happened with your application. You filled it out 94% correctly, but you forgot that last 6% and it's got to get bumped back to you. So if we can prevent that from happening in the first place, which we can, solves just saves so much time on everybody's, for everybody, staff, applicant, everybody's happier. Yeah, it's, I mean, fundamentally, it's it's just an uphill road of doing the making, this is going to sound so cynical, but it's terrible. It's just so ineffective to demonstrate you can make things better for the customer, unless making things better for the customer is to. part of the key ethos of an organization. And despite what it should be for government, and I know 
the people who all work there are well-meaning and in their hearts believe that, but the systems of government are not set up to support that. They're set up for efficiency yeah. or predictability. Well, it's interesting. Whatever. They're set up for, yeah. It, no mistakes. I don't know what the hell they're set up for. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, you and me both, and I've been doing I'm this for a while. so hard to <laughs> be generous here. No, and, and, and like I said, really folks inside of government, they are there because they want to serve their communities and make things yeah. better. They just don't always have the right tools. Uh, but that what we find is that the same things that make it better for the applicant also make it better for the folks inside of government. And that's really what we, we know very few of the products in our space are designed with any kind of design focus or usability. And that it just makes a huge difference. When, once we get people to see what City Grows looks like, they're like, oh my gosh, why doesn't everything work like this? And I'm like, exactly. And it's partly why we grow. <laughs> Once we get into one department, like you were saying, the sort of door opener, and we, we struggle a little bit because we're sort of a jackknife product, right? You can use City Grows to issue a dog license or a building permit or track your contracts. Like you can do anything you want with it, really. And that's a strength and a weakness sometimes, right? Because it's not always the clear, like any department could start using us. But once, uh, just like we saw with the city of West Hollywood, their finance department started first, then their parking department heard about it and started using it. Now their engineering department is using it. Now their rent department is using it. It just is growing inside each uh, government we're working with. And that's really exciting because that's purely, we don't have enough staff to sell inside to all those people. They're just finding out about it and then being like, wait, this looks great. I want to use this. And so that's yeah, power, a great powerful thing. And it, it goes back to the same thing about the predictive analytics, about mm -hmm. what is the, the ideal department to start in yeah. and which leads the best. So I got one last critical piece of advice for you. Please. Don't try to sell to Santa Cruz County uh, building <laughs> department, building and planning department. Futile. Sounds it's, like I should call them tomorrow and be um, like, hey, I hear you guys could use some help with your permitting. <laughs> no, no. I think the approach for them is basically, uh, do you want to slow things down a little bit? You know, I, I have some great ways to make this even. And, you know, hey, Santa Cruz County, I kid you because I love you. But um, the, we it, do it, find that people have a little bit of PTSD sometimes. There's an element. Process. There's an element, though, of, of, of logic behind this, which is that, I, and I generally believe this is true, is that uh, Santa Cruz County, for those of you who don't know, is separated from Silicon Valley proper by a long, narrow, winding high, highway. And of course, everyone says, why don't you fix the highway, make it six lanes, a tunnel through, make it. And of course, everyone in Santa Cruz County goes, no. Absolutely not. Uh, we like it being separate. We like it being a little slower. Uh, we like the fact that the housing prices, although getting out of control now, are still dramatically less than they are in the suburbs of, um, of Silicon Valley. Like the nature, in other words, uh, we don't want to grow. And there's a lot of defensive postures a city can put in place to not grow. And one, of course, is you don't fix the highways. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one is you don't issue building permits. Um, and so that's why sometimes one that put this, and again, just to convert this from being a knock, because again, I, I love you, Santa Cruz County. Uh, <laughs> it's that uh, it's picking the right targets. Yeah. Correct. It's picking people who genuinely say, we're, we're the city of Miami. 
we want every possible business we can get here. In fact, if you're having problems uh, setting up a country, company in your city, come here and begin putting in place into the extreme case of, you know, talk to Singapore. Mm-hmm. You know, anything they can do to make it easier to do business in Singapore yeah. than to do it in the other world cities that they compete with is uh, right up the alley. Absolutely. Well, we're in a position now in the U.S. where there's a lot of money coming into local governments and there's a lot of structural change that's coming. Think about how many EV chargers uh, governments all over the country are going to have to put in, uh, increase in solar permits. A lot of this kind of next generation economy stuff is going to get bottlenecked unless we improve this permitting process. Like there's so much potential for change and economic development and growth and better just better all around, but unless we can improve this process. So it's it's a really pivotal time for us as a country to fix this. And I, uh, we're excited to have, have City Grows be part of that process. Yeah, and to be right in the middle of it. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Catherine, as you or maybe other regular listeners of the podcast do, usually I end by saying that I definitely want to see our our um, you know our guests again, you know, in six to 12 months. I think I'm going to give you six to 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> to report back on your uh, on your progress, <laughs> and if things how about two years? Let's see two years. That How's sounds that? like a reasonable compromise. Uh, I'm cutting you a little more slack because you are doing the Lord's work here, oh. and uh, you're up against it. Well, good luck to you, and um, I really hope that uh, you can slay the dragon with Gosh, this one. Thank you so much. It's been super helpful uh, to get this perspective and. Uh, and I think it will work. So it might not work in the short term, but it's going to work for all of us. So. Those are uh, those are the words to live by that everyone who's part of that that will never work community uh, holds close. <laughs> Thank you so much. This My has been pleasure. Great. Thank you. A business that seeks to improve government. It sounds like an oxymoron, but with Catherine's proven model in Los Angeles, I hope that you'll soon get more cities on board. It's a tough gig when your biggest competitor is inertia. But I'm optimistic on this one. I hope that by listening in, you also got some great tips about how to tackle institutional customer acquisition. Want to take a deeper dive into the topics I discuss in the show? Then buy the book, the paperback edition of my international bestseller, That Will Never Work, The Birth of Netflix and the Amazing Life of an Idea, is available now. And want to be a guest on my That Will Never Work podcast? Simply go to markrandolph.com forward slash guest to apply. Hilton Media Group.